Welcome back to the latest episode of Adoption Unfiltered. I'm Sarah Easterly. I'm an adoptee, and I'm joined by my colleagues, um, as usual, Kelsey Vandervliet-Ranyard, a birth parent, and Lori Holden, an adoptive parent. And we're doing something really exciting and new today, the first time we've done this, and that is having a book club discussion. And so we have two panelists with us who we're very excited to have. We have Julian Washio-Colette, who's an adoptee, and we have Mithani Gushiku-Kittrich, who is a birth parent. And um, we're just really excited to have you both here today. We've all read the book, Lois Lowry's The Giver, and we're excited to talk about it from a perspective of adoption from our different lenses and see where the conversation takes us. Um Briefly, I want to introduce Julian, and then Kelsey will introduce Mathani. Um, Julian Washio-Colette is a Baby Scoop era domestic adoptee. He was relinquished and adopted into a closed adoption as an infant and relinquished and adop adopted in a second closed adoption at the age of nine. He blogs occasionally at the Peregrine Adoptee, and he writes about the intersection of adoption, healing, and spirituality. Julian is currently working on a memoir and has shared much of his writing in Adoptive Voices easings. Okay, thanks to, thanks for being here, Julian. Glad you're here. Wanted to introduce Mathani Gishiku Kittridge. Um, she is a birth mom and an advocate in adoption reform space. Um, she is involved in a lot of projects here and there, mainly um, Lifetime Healing Foundation. She can, is a contributor to writing their curriculum every year and a team member for them. And um, we're really glad to have her here. And if you're keeping track or even maybe keeping score, you may notice that there is no adoptive parent panelist and that is deliberate because what part of what Adoption Unfiltered is all about and all the projects we do together is elevating some of the voices that have been more historically marginalized, which is not the adoptive parent. So that's why we have Mathani and Julian with us today. So with that, let's jump in because the time is going to go so fast and there's so much that can be said about this book. Um, again, it's Lois Lowry's The Giver um, and we've all read it and we have um, so much to say. So um, yeah, Julian, I'm gonna start with you and just ask you, what were your thoughts as you read, just reading as an adoptee? How did how did the book land for you just overall? Well, um, I'll just start by saying I read it at your suggestion. Um, and then um I wrote some of my reflections and you and then you asked if I would be willing to be part of this group. And I said yes. And I had I had just don't redonated the book because I'd found it at a used bookstore. And when I went to get it again, I couldn't find it. And when I asked about it, it was because it was in the banned book section, which was really fascinating. I didn't realize it's a commonly banned book. And I might have something, I might have more to say about that. But that was an interesting process. Yeah. And especially reading it the second time with that explicit lens, like reading as an adoptee, um, I think right from the get-go, the opening scene where the whole community is thrown into chaos because something unpredictable has happened. Um, the plane flies overhead and 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 everyone is just frozen and panicked and doesn't know what to do. Um, I found that a, 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 a good image of just the fragility of what adoptive family systems can be, especially when 
um, things can't be brought out in the open. Um, there's an interesting interplay with language that, you know, throughout the book, um, it's rude, for instance, to, to bring up differences. Like, so even language is controlled so that everything is this blanket sameness and, and nothing that, you know, the, the, the fragile arrangement isn't disturbed. Um, and so then interestingly, um, quite jarringly, the pilot who made an innocent mistake is released. So I certainly can say this from my own experience, um, and I know a lot of adoptees live with that fear. Um, it's very disgraceful to be released unless you're uh, an inadequate infant or um, an old person. Um, a lot of adoptees have that have that deep um, instinctive fear that we're going to be sent elsewhere. And of course, in my case, I was. When I was nine years old, I was sent elsewhere. So it's real. It happens. Um, but that's an, another kind of control that you find. Um, yeah, and I think um, attitudes toward birth mothers, it's, a, it's something dishonorable. They're hidden. Um, they don't get to see their 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 children um definitely a very clear anal an analogy with adoption there and um also i i thought the the second part of the book where um the main character is be is 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 now a receiver um i really saw elements of coming to adoptee consciousness um you know he has this unique ability to see beyond the the dominant narrative the dominant arrangement um and i was really i was really struck um when the giver is trying to describe what they're going to do trying to teach trying to talk to him about the past and other places and times he can't comprehend um everything is so circumscribed to the now to the us um so there's this real awakening to um to to history to memory um and i'll i'll i have a lot more to say but i'll just wrap up this part really quickly um there's an element of a sense of a ghost kingdom or awakening to the body memory of being relinquished of having a family uh when he has that first you know he's dreaming about the sleigh ride and he has this inkling that there's something there, there's something there that's good, that's significant. He doesn't know what it is, but he needs to get there. Um, so those are some of my initial thoughts. Thank you, Julian, for sharing. I'm really glad that you mentioned, I I, I thought of you on my latest reading because of course, you know, I, I remember that I had talked about The Giver and you got invited because you read it and then had so many wonderful things that you shared about it. And I, I was like, oh, wow, Julian took it to a whole other level. I hadn't even gone there. There's just so much. Um, and this isn't intended to be an adoption book, <laughs> but there's so much. So that was, that's what's so fun about it. Um, but I did on this, the second or I guess my third or fourth rereading, I, I've lost count of how many times I've read this book, but I did think about that, um, that being the releasing and being released. And um, for you, like you said, it was really, it was real and it's psychologically real for so many of us as adoptees. I think that's why you see 
so much perfectionism and um, just so many, so much different kinds of ways we do, we pursue to try to be good, the good adoptee, um, you know, because we're trying to avoid that. So um, that releasing, and you can see how that keeps control in the community. So um, thank you for all those those thoughts. And I look forward to hearing your others. Um, I, I liked your comment about birth parents, how they were um, like hidden, dishonorable. Um, I also felt like there was such a semblance of that they weren't worth knowing about, like the details weren't important. Um, and I think that was um, very relatable. So Mathani, I wanted to ask you reading this book, what um, emotions did it evoke? Because for me, it was like maddening, like, Hey, where, where's she at? Where, why are we talking about her? You know what I mean? So what, um, what did this feel like for you to read this? Yeah. So I, I'd actually never read this book. So this is my first time, um, reading it and yeah, I was very angry, (laughs) um, reading it, um, because, you know, birth mothers are clearly such a huge part of the community. You know, they supply the babies for the ceremonies, um, but that's essentially what they are. Jonas's mother at one point says, you know, they spend three lazy years and then they go off to, you know, whatever their assignments are. And it's like, lazy? <laughs> what? <laughs> Pregnancy is not lazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it was just very interesting um, to see how much that they were needed, but not, but disregarded at the same time. Yeah, I think, um, I, I, I think that's, there's such a parallel there with, with just the whole adoption field as well. Um, it's this propping up of how, how, you know, what, what a great thing that they produce, but mm. that, um, that they're not important and biology isn't important and X, Y, Z. So Yeah. Interesting. Even just, you know, Lily wanting to become a birth giver and her mom being like, no, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, I, hi- I highlighted it. There's very little honor in that assignment. <laughs> um, yeah, that was yeah. jarring to read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I may enter into this conversation, not from a birth parent or an adoptee perspective, or even an adoptive parent perspective, one of the things that I noticed is that uh, the community was aiming for this win-win situation where everything was good and nothing was bad. And how much is lost when we aim for that, when we can't feel both sides. You know, I'm always talking about the both and in adoption, which is the both and of the hard emotions as well. And there is no coin with just one side. When you don't have the sadness and the fear, you also don't have the happiness and the, I don't know what the opposite of fear would be, the contentment. Um, So trying to orchestrate it that way and go against human emotions just doesn't go well. And then I also kind of saw um, this utopia that we're trying to build there as a metaphor for the fog. We'll keep you from feeling everything, and that'll be great. (laughs) Um, But if you do start to think about it, if you do start to see colors, if you do start to to like be different, 
Um, we don't like that and we're not going to allow it. Um, and, and I think that has been part of um, the practices that we've all faced in adoption as well. I wanted to say about that too, just on the feelings. Um, and I'm curious what, what you all, what others of you thought, but just, you know, the, the beginning scene, we see that they're, they're it, at first glance, it looks like they're very open, right? Because they're having going around the table. What are your, what, what, what are your emotions? How are you feeling? And what happened in your day? Um, but we get a clue because Jonas is saying that his sisters are easy to resolve. So the point is just to like, fix them <laughs> and check off the box. So it's not like, it's just this false sense of being of openness, but it's not really, it's not about feeling it's about fixing. Yeah. I, I noticed that too. There, like, there was really no, um, no, like seeking to understand. Um, it was all like, and it, it wasn't even solutions really. It was sort of like, that's not appropriate. We're not going to talk about that. Um, or, you know, you just need to suppress that. It was not real, like tangible solutions, even if that's what they were portraying to give. There was such power in the la in language that they were allowed to use that releasing, like Julian mentioned, became um, a euphemism for something that's really not that pleasant. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen the film One Child Nation, which is also adoption oriented. But if you watch that and you see how the inculcation and the language and the um, almost brainwashing can make, can cause a whole population to accept something that is really unacceptable. That's what I, that's what was so disturbing about that one scene where the father is releasing the twin. Um, he didn't think twice about it. How can that happen? And it does happen. <laughs> it happened in China. It happens here in a lot of places, um, but in a lot of ways. But it, um, yeah. I was just going to point out that when um, Jonas is actually learning what real feelings are, he realizes that the feelings that they're processing every night aren't actually feelings. They're just, you know, very subtle blips on the screen, but the, the people in the community don't actually have real feelings, so to speak. They don't know real anger or real passion or real love. Yeah. I wanted to ask you specifically just about the kind of um, almost censoring of feelings too, of, you know, Asher, um, not being not being allowed to use um the word was it distraught um when he was distraught it was too strong of a word and jonas was realizing that his word he, like censoring himself and i was just thinking back to um you know my younger years when there's a censoring of your true feelings about adoption too um that you pick up from the community right like what are you where's the, where are the boundaries so i i don't know if you had any additional thoughts or if that that came up for you as you read? Certainly, I think the kind of policing that happens, certainly in my adoptive families, a lot of it is implicit, a lot of it is, is explicit, um, but there is this kind of systemic um, thing that wraps around you and um, 
you learn that certain feelings aren't acceptable, certain thoughts aren't uh, acceptable to to express, and that really shapes your your experience. Your feelings become muted. All of your feelings become muted. muted. Colors are less bright, less vivid. Um, life is less vivid. Um, yeah. I was struck by how discounted biology was. It didn't matter at all. Um, which, again, like trying to um, discount emotions, it just kind of doesn't work. We, we, we can deal with things if we acknowledge them, but it, it's harder to deal with things if we don't acknowledge them. Yeah, I, I felt that way too. I did, um, I did yearn for a little bit more in that. Maybe it's the adopted me wanting to know the biological connection, but just with the light eyes and um, the receiver and, and the giver and just, and then there was another baby that, well, the baby that, that, that came into their home. Um, um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Gabe. Gabe. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm, of course I was, you know, wondering what's the relation they're related. <laughs> and then, you know, that that's when I just did so much reflecting of this entire community. Everybody is an adoptee. They're all, they're all adopted. Um, yeah, they just, it just really, there's some kind of, there's a statement there about biology, but I felt like I wanted it a little bit more dialed in. I don't know. Mathani, did you, <laughs> did that resonate for you or did you pick up on that at all? Yeah, it was very interesting. I feel like any reference to birth mothers was in like maybe two pages <laughs> and then the rest of the book was nothing. And so, um, yeah, that definitely stuck out to me. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just very, very strange that there's no recognition and there's no um, yeah, acknowledgement for the biology of all these adoptees. And they're, they're all adoptees, essentially, <laughs> everyone in the community, so. It's very weird. And I hadn't thought about this until just now, but what about birth fathers? I mean, sure, it's easier to, to get the material you need to be a birth father, but if they're all taking those pills, you know, like how does that factor in? And, and do birth fathers even know they're birth fathers? I wondered about that too, naturally, because as the uh, fallen women that we are, Mathani. <laughs> I think I wondered, um, cause we're, we're always like, okay, like you're talking about me, but what about him? Because it takes two to tango type of thing. So I always wondered, yeah, if they're on the where's where's the, the other half of the equation. Um, and, and why didn't we talk about the, um, I guess the, the unimportance of their role and if we were talking about the unimportance of the birth mother universe what about the other half and um who was receiving those assignments or maybe the birth fathers or whatever are part of society like they get to have family units you know maybe the women don't but they do 
that's not mentioned in the book, but that's something I thought of. I was like, oh, maybe they just get a pass. <laughs> Very similar to our sister. Yeah. yeah. Relatable. <laughs> I wanted to, maybe this is a question for you, Lori, just because I also, you know, every family gets one, one girl, one boy. And um, Jonas's parents mentioned when their application or Jonas was recalling when his application was approved, it just very much reminded me to get Lily, to have Lily join their family. Did that, did that bring up anything as an adoptive parent? It felt very formulaic. <clears throat> and there's a certainty in that, that I think some of us who have gone through the process might have appreciated that um, you only have to be approved by <clears throat> a committee. And if you're a good citizen, you're guaranteed. Um, but it, it it just, it made it less about who you are and being, you, you, you know, if we talk in adoption about being chosen, it's really these days the adoptive parents who are chosen um, through domestic infant adoption. Um, and because of the era I entered this in, I did want to be chosen because of who I was and who I might have resonated with and who I could build a relationship with rather than just here you are, you you pass the, the minimum criteria, um, just like almost everybody else is going to do unless they're a problem maker, which problem makers there don't stick around. I think they get disappeared. Okay, well, um... Any final thoughts, anything else that stood out before we open it up to, we have more people in our audience today. This is the first time we've done this this way where we have others waiting to join us from the constellation to carry this conversation on a little further, but any wrap up thoughts, um, just to any final perspectives or are, are you glad you read the book, Mathani, or was it too, did it make you too angry to actually enjoy it? No, I loved it. I, um, there was anger, but there was also hope. Like I loved that um, Jonas got away into Gabriel with him. And um, I can't speak, I'm not an adoptee, so I can't speak on that, but I would love to hear what Julian thinks about that, you know, about the breaking away and um, from the community. Um, that's really symbolic, I feel like. Well, just a couple of wrap-up thoughts, and I'll respond to uh, I'll respond to that that question. Um, I totally related to the breakaway because I have done a lot of like long-distance bicycle camping, um, and that was definitely a, a way of psychically leaving my adoptive families behind. Um, so I was totally on board with that. I again, I think there's a lot more to be said about that as a kind of coming to a critical consciousness journey. Um, the other thing I wanted to share, I was really struck. I think there's a lot to be said about carrying the burden of memory for those who can't handle it. I think that that really speaks to the adoptee experience of memories that we can't consciously recall or reflect on, but that our body certainly remembers that are very much embedded in our nervous systems. Um, that know that often the adoptive family doesn't want to know uh, or couldn't handle, um, and we have to carry that within ourselves. Um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot, a lot more there to be, to be mined. I want to bring up just one more point that um, 
I don't think we've touched on yet, and that is about choice and autonomy, which is so important to to most humans. I think um, I made a note that on page one twenty, somebody uh, somebody said it's the choosing that's important, isn't it? That was probably Jonas. Um, but people might make the wrong choices, and so the lengths will go to keep people from making what the community decides are the wrong choices. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Lori, because, you know, there is, um, we talk about this a lot in when we're in our adoptee only groups of, um, you know, we don't have a choice. Um, choices are made for us. So um, there's a certain amount of powerlessness um, over your destiny um, and where you go um, when you don't have choices. So um, that's an important one. Yeah. I also, I want to go back to the question about breaking away that Mathani had posed. And I, I feel like it could be symbolic for a lot of different, for just, I think like coming out of the fog in general for anybody. Um, because I think if you are one, like, like birth parents, we go through like disenfranchised grief so often. So people are telling us, but you did such a great thing. How can you be sad? It wasn't even your child really. And ex I mean, just a whole host of different responses that we can get when we're simply just grieving and we need that support and we need the validation in that. And um, for me in my personal experience, meeting other birth moms was opened up a whole world for me and was very healing. And that breaking away is symbolic to me in that I was being released from the normal world. Um, but I was entering something brand new, very unknown, but there was comfort because there was someone with me, um, helping me, guiding me, um, into that because I had met birth moms who had been through it, who had been through the the disenfranchisement of the grief and everything. And they were welcoming me into this unknown journey. Um, and I, and I felt like that was very symbolic. Thank you for sharing that Kelsey. And of course, as adoptees, we have our own version of that too. So, um, totally understand. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Mathani. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks to each of you for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment, rate, and share wherever you listen to help others find Adoption Unfiltered. It's through healthy engagement that we can make the changes needed for all those affected by adoption. Visit adoptionunfiltered.com for our other episodes on other topics and to find more information about our other projects. Till next time.